Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing this morning? Oh, it sounds great in this place. I hope that God is just showering it on you at all of our other locations that you're just feeling just immersed in the grace of God and in Jesus Christ because he changes everything. I was listening to that song that we all sang just a little while ago. I know who I am because I'm yours, because of whose I am, right? We all understand that about him, but it just changes everything to know that God loves us. He looks beyond our fault. He sees our needs and he fills us. He's going to finish what he started. Our lives can be so optimistic because of all the things that he is. And that just gives me joy, gives me hope, helps me to move forward uh, in life, you know. So if you're inside online.tv, if you're at any of our locations, we're just so thankful to be able to share a message with you today. All of us together can receive it together and act on it. And you can see that God's working through it. We had 22 baptisms last week. That's 200, listen to this, 221 baptisms in six weeks. 221. And who, I mean, I mean, what is God gonna do with that? God's gonna do something incredible with that. Those opportunities where we open our hearts to him and then he comes in there and just does incredible, incredible things. Well, uh, we've been in a series, I would say a, Uh, For for like a year and a half, we've been in this generosity initiative called Wreck the Roof. And we've been talking about like once a month, hearing different testimonies about how God is working in the hearts and in the lives of some of our people. But what we thought we'd do is shift a little bit and show you how some of that faith uh, that you've shared with others is producing fruit. One of the things that we believe in so strongly at the crossing is leadership, that we make leaders who honor God and inspire people and they change the, uh, they'll just change the world. And we have a program we call the develop program. We're going to show you a video of really what that does. So watch this video. Two years ago, we began a journey at the crossing that would push our church to trust God more as individuals and as a body than ever before. We believe that God has placed a calling and a mission on us to reach people with the good news of Jesus and to raise up a new generation of leaders who will carry the gospel into the future and continue the work of building God's kingdom. When we started Wreck the Roof, individuals and families from all over our church felt God directing them to trust Him in new areas of their lives. Some people made financial commitments, others started serving for the first time, or finally made the decision to get baptized. Still, another small group of individuals felt God challenging them to grow in their faith, leadership, and entire life direction. We identified the roof of leadership as an area where God could grow our church, which led to the creation of the DEVELOP program. When we first opened applications for the DEVELOP Leadership Program, we received over 50 applications from six different states of people eager to trust God with the entire course of their futures. From those 50 plus applicants, 20 people were invited to spend the next season of their lives being mentored, empowered, trained, and released into ministry. In the DEVELOP program, participants had the opportunity to learn and grow in their spiritual, professional, and relational development to become better leaders. Um, The first time I got up even to do a closer, 
it was challenging. Um, I stuttered, I uh, fumbled through my words. I, you think of the most nervous person you could see on a stage, and that was probably me. Through this program, I've gotten to do it multiple times. Uh, I was asked if I would do the closer because there was a baptism, and so stepped up there, felt like I rocked it, and um, obviously, we're not always as good as we think we are, but uh, I felt like even in that short amount of time, I had done better when it comes to just having confidence in my abilities. Our developed staff spent time in leadership seminars and training courses, as well as taking classes in our Ministry Development Institute to provide them with biblical education and training necessary for being a leader in the church. Through the courses and seminars, our developed staff grew as a team, built relationships with one another, and encouraged each other through the trials and celebrations of ministry. The relationship grew with me and Josh Greenwood, who is also a developer, uh, to where we would spur each other on. I would wake up in the morning, get done with my walk, and uh, post something about my walk or a scripture that I was reading. So I, was, I started responding to him and trying to help encourage him so that we could build a relationship together, and that relationship is one of the best relationships I've had. Leaders in our program have received ministry experience through responsibilities at camp, weekend services, and even in launching new campuses. Our developed staff has taken on big projects like leadership on special events, input on kids' ministry curriculum, and even overhauling our website and mobile church app. We've seen these individuals grow in their ability to raise up teams, pastor groups of people around them, organize and execute events, and ultimately lead more people into intimate personal relationships with Jesus. The biggest way that I've seen them develop and grow when leading an actual service is their confidence. They have gotten much better at that. They, are, um, they know what they want to say, they know when they want to say it and they're confident enough to speak out in those moments instead of being timid. Your generosity throughout the Wreck the Roof initiative has directly impacted the growth and development of these leaders who will carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to future generations. This generation of leaders is not next. They are now. God has used this season to wreck the man-made plans some of these leaders had for their lives, and He has replaced their plans with a calling to ministry and leadership. These leaders are wrecked for life as a result of your faithfulness and generosity. And for that, we wanna say thank you. Thank you for trusting God. Thank you for going on this journey with us. And thank you for investing in these leaders. Check out wrecktheroof.org to see how your generosity has wrecked the roofs of expansion, mission, and engagement. And look for more information about the impact you're making in the coming weeks. Let's give it up for our developers. Let's do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're spread out all over our location. So if you see one of them today, just uh, give them a high five, give them a hug, something. Give them a 20 bucks for lunch. I don't know. But just let them know that you appreciate them because they're doing great work for the kingdom and God's doing something great in them as well. Well, we're in a series called Closed on Sunday. And what we're discovering are so many of the core things that define us as believers in Jesus Christ. And we've learned that that's experienced in community, specifically weekly community, that we need to make that a commitment in our lives because that's the way it was designed when the, first, uh, when the church first was created 
by Jesus Christ. So we've talked about a number of uh, those issues that are raised up in Acts 241 to 247. We talked about baptism, and boy, God has blessed amazingly there. We've talked about authority, the power of the Word of God, the delivery system of that Word, what true fellowship means, what communion means. And today, we're going to tap into the last one that's in the 42nd verse, and we're going to read that uh, together. They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about prayer. Now we've discussed prayer many times before. We even did a whole series just a short time ago called Extreme Prayer about prayer. So how would this be any different? Uh, what, what new thing can we learn that we haven't already talked about or delved into? Well, I think most of the time when we think of prayer, we think of something very personal. We, we think of a quiet time where it's just between you and God, where you get away from everybody else and all the other things and focus on God. And, and hear me, that's not wrong. That's great. And when you, uh, but maybe when we think about prayer in that way, it's possible that we've missed something else, something very important about prayer. And that's what I want to do today. I want to take some time to discover this other area uh, about prayer that we can discover together, okay? So how many of us remember a time when this was really big? WWJD, raise your hand if you remember that, right? Stood for what would Jesus do? People had it on t-shirts, they had it on armbands, they had it on all you know wristbands, all sorts of things. And it comes from actually a very old book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps. To just simply ask the question, in every opportunity of life, what would Jesus do? But the funny thing about that is that there's an obvious answer to that question. It's found in scripture. And it's not what would he do, it's what did Jesus do, right? So the scripture answers that question. And when we look at Jesus, it informs our answers, right? Well, the same is true about prayer. We can say, well, how should I pray? Well, we could answer that question by looking at scripture and go, how did they pray? Because the way we should pray is the way that they prayed then, right? And if they were devoted to prayer, well, what did that actually look like? Well, I went through the book of Acts, the whole book, and in that book, there are 14 specific prayers that are offered and recorded for us, okay? So when we look at them, what we're going to see is something jumps off the pages that maybe we hadn't thought of before. And it's this, when they prayed most of the time, they prayed together. It's not to say that it's, it's bad or you shouldn't pray alone. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that they didn't pray alone. It just means that they prayed together, that in the infancy of the church, I'm sure that everything was just bathed, just soaked in prayer. But these 14 are highlighted for our benefit, and they happen almost always in groups. One of the things that we meet together to do when we come together weekly is we come together to pray together. So we need to understand why that's important, what value is in praying together. In the first century, there were places designated for prayer. And there were times designated for prayer. So people would know to meet together at that particular time. 
It started in the temple, uh, particularly Solomon's colonnade. They would always meet there at that particular spot of the temple to pray. But they also met in homes to pray. And they met in synagogues as the church expanded and went out to these neighboring towns and villages that had synagogues. They would use that synagogue as a place for prayer. And if there was no normal place for prayer, they would designate a place for prayer. And that is recorded in Acts 16 because because Paul and Silas actually go to Europe. Because Philippi is technically in Europe. It's no longer in Asia Minor. And there's no synagogue in the town of Philippi. And so they designate a place for prayer. Listen to what it says in Acts 16, 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. It's interesting that they would pick a river, right? Why? Well, because they'd be baptizing people too, right? We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So we actually find out from that that Lydia, who accepts Jesus Christ in Philippi, is baptized there, becomes a believer in Christ, and other prominent women. In verse 16, it says, Once we were going to the place of prayer, there in Philippi, and we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So this is a woman who was possessed. And uh, they earn, and she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Well, if you go on a little bit further in the story, which we will in a, in a bit, you'll see where that ends up landing Paul and Silas. But here's what we learned first is that there was a place for prayer, a place where they would meet to get together to pray. Why? Why would they do that? It was because there's great power in prayer. Now, do we all know that? How many know there's power in prayer, okay? Why? Why is there power in prayer? I'll tell you why. Because prayer is the conduit that links us to unlimited power. It links us to God. And in being linked to God, we are linked to unlimited power. And that unlimited power comes from unlimited perfection. Listen to this. That means that if we pray and God answers that prayer in the affirmative, we're in agreement with unlimited perfection. We're in agreement with the unlimited perfection of God, right? But why together? Because there is a cumulative power in prayer. When you add your prayers to other prayers, there there is this cumulative power. It's like the It's like the group becomes more than the sum of its parts. Something rises up out of that in agreement that God tells us is powerful, even more powerful. And let me tell you something else about agreement. When people come together and pray, there is discipline in agreement. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, because when you pray in a group, your motives are checked, right? I mean, if you're going to pray a prayer that's really selfish and self-serving and you're in a group of people, maybe you're not going to pray with a group of people. Because somebody that really cares about you, that you might be in a relationship, might put their arm around you a little bit later and say, hey, you know what? That's pretty selfish. Or maybe you're limiting God by praying a prayer that way. Let's pray it this way, right? There are motives that are checked in agreement. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at these 14 prayers I want us to use them as as an example of how we should pray when we meet together, okay? And these prayers 
are grouped in four specific areas. First one is interceding. Interceding means to pray for others or for yourself in an unselfish way. The second one is discernment, when we're trying to figure out what God is trying to accomplish and how he wants to use us in that. The third one is requesting, and that's pretty self-explanatory. And the fourth one is commissioning, and that's when we're, uh, people are being sent off into ministry. And they're in order, too, from least frequent to most frequent. Okay, so here we go. Let's start with interceding. There are two prayers, specifically in the book of Acts, about interceding. The first one is in Acts 4.24. Here's the context. The apostles are preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, and the Jewish religious leaders get really mad at them, and they bring them in, start hollering at them, threatening them, yelling at them, saying, we don't want you to speak or preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter and the rest of the apostles say, hey, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's eyes to serve you or obey you rather than God, because we're not shutting up. And that was dangerous, right? So then they go outside, rest of the, of the uh, followers of Christ are out there and they begin to pray. And that's what it says in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in. That's how the prayer starts. But the prayer ends by this, by what, what is said here. Consider their threats, God, and grant that your servants will be able to speak about Jesus with even more boldness. That's a selfless prayer. That's a prayer that's going to get you into a lot of trouble, right? You know what they're not praying for? They're not saying, God, deliver us from the hands of these people. They're not saying, Lord, make it so that it's not painful or difficult for us. Nope. They're just saying, give us more boldness. That is a selfless prayer. That's an intercessory prayer for each one of them, right? Here's the, like, the most perfect intercessory prayer. It's in Acts 760. And this is Stephen who has been brought up on charges because he's preaching about Jesus. Uh, they've even paid off witnesses to say lies about him. And so he gives this big defense in Acts chapter seven. At the end, he says, <laughs> you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And, and goes on, and it makes them so mad, they cover their ears, screaming at the top of their lungs, drag the guy outside of the city and stone him to death, execute him. But while they're doing that, while he's dying, he prays this prayer. Then he fell on his knees and cried out. Are you ready? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. You talk about it a, a selfless intercessory prayer. Well, that's one right there, right? So when we think of intercession, that means where there's no self-serving motive that's perceived. And that's why praying in a group is important because other people that are hearing you pray can help you if, if that's a, a stumbling block for you so that you don't have a self-serving motive when you pray, right? So it checks us there. So that's a good reason for intercession. Here's another type of prayer, and that's discernment. This is where we're trying to figure out what God wants us to do. So you could call it discernment or you could just call it listening, right? 
So in Acts 124, all of uh, the apostles are together in the upper room and Judas has killed himself and they want another apostle to replace Judas and they've kind of come down to a choice between two people and then they pray in 124. It says, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. And they end up choosing Matthias. And I love that because what they're doing is they're saying, God, we don't want to make this choice. We want it to be your choice. So guide us and lead us. So here's, here's me and here's you and here we are together. And we want to say, Lord, I don't necessarily have all the, the answers. I don't have all the wisdom and I need your discernment. I need for your uh, wisdom to come to bear here. And we need to pray those prayers together. Are you doing that? In Acts chapter 10, verse 9, there's a, another prayer of discernment. Now, prayers of discernment can have a subject, like in this case, someone to replace Judas, but they don't have to have a subject. This is one of the things I love about prayer is that, have you ever just been a clean slate to God? Like, God, I have no idea what you want me to do. I bet you, every one of you that I, that's hearing my voice have prayed at one time, God, what is your will for my life? And, and you're just kind of waiting. Hey, God. And if you don't get an answer, then you fill in the blank. Have you ever just prayed and you're not praying anything in particular, like you're just saying, here I am. I'm just a, I, I, I'm just a clean slate. I'm just a, an empty canvas, Lord. I, I'm just open. I just want to be open. I want to listen to whatever it is. Well, there's a story about that in Acts uh, chapter 10. And this is Peter, and he's at, a, at somebody's house in a town of Joppa. He goes up on the roof before they make lunch to pray. And in verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their way, and I'll tell you who those people are in a minute, approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Well, that was just his habit. And there's nothing recorded in Acts 10 about any particular thing that he wanted to do. And that's a good thing. Because what God had in store for him, he would have never prayed for ever. These people that were coming were coming from a guy's house named Cornelius. And Cornelius was not Jewish. He was what the Bible calls a Gentile. And that's anybody that's not Jewish. And the thing about Jewish people like Peter, people that consider themselves devout Jewish people, they would never darken the door of a non-Jewish person. They would never walk across the threshold because they would be considered defiled if they did. And what Peter didn't know is that God already had set things in motion and he had these people that were coming and Peter was gonna need to go with them and he was gonna deliver a message to them and for the first time, non-Jewish people are gonna hear the message and respond to the message of Jesus. And I guarantee you that was not on Peter's prayer list that day. No way. But because of that time of prayer, God revealed this to him so that when those people knocked on the door, he was ready to obey. He was ready to go with them. And sometimes that's the way we need to pray. Just with a clean slate, just with an empty canvas. God, I want to discern whatever your will is. Now, I told you I was going to come back to this story in a little bit. And that's the story of the, of the slave girl who uh, had this demon exercised out of her and it made her owners mad because that was their way of making money. And so they took Paul and Silas and they threw them in prison, had them beaten 
and then thrown into prison. So about midnight, down in this jail cell, there's prayers going on. This is what it says in 1625. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, the Bible doesn't say what they were praying, but I can tell you what they weren't praying. They weren't praying, oh God, why did you let this happen to us? Why would you let them beat us like this? Why are we down in this prison? We're just trying to do your work, God. I don't understand you. You know why I know they did when we're praying that? Because in a minute, God's going to open all the cell doors and all the prisoners are going to stay put. And if they were praying for themselves like that, I guarantee you that all those other prisoners would have been just as selfish and they would have took off, right? But they all stayed. Because they're praying like that, God opens all the cell doors and all the prisoners go, you know what, this prayer and singing time, we like it so much, we're staying. The Philippian jailer pulls his sword, he's gonna kill himself because he's afraid he's gonna lose all of his prisoners. And Paul says, don't harm yourself, we're all still here. And the jailer goes, what do I have to do to be saved? Probably from death, that's what he's thinking. And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved in your whole household. And you know what they did? All those prisoners and the jailer and Paul and Silas snuck out of that prison in the middle of the night. They went to that place, that place of prayer in the middle of the night. And they, they all got baptized, dried off as fast as they could, ran back to the prison, locked themselves back up in their cells. So the next morning, when those leaders, those town leaders came down there. They're all back. They're all right where they're supposed to be. And then God takes care of the rest. That's just an awesome, awesome picture of being a clean slate before God because he's got plans. Now, listen, what do we learn from that? Sometimes when we pray, it's specific and sometimes it's not specific, right? But be assured, be assured that when you pray, remember there's unlimited power. God is going to move in an incredible way. But here is the nugget. Ready? Just maybe not in the way you thought. When you pray, you might have an agenda. But understand, your agenda has to take a back seat to God's agenda. Because God's way is the what? It's always the best way. That's right. Number three, requesting. Making specific requests to God. We have a number of these in the book of Acts. One is in Acts 8.15. Uh, and this is when Philip is preaching and people are accepting Christ and then they're, they're asking for spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. When they arrived, it says, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. That they might receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 9, verse 40, uh, there's a woman by the name of Tabitha that's passed away. And uh, she was doing all this great ministry stuff. And all of the other women in that community were showing, they were showing Peter, look at all the stuff that she's done. And her dead body is up there in this room. And, and Peter decides to send everybody out of the room. Listen to what happens. It says in verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room and he got down on his knees and he prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened up her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Don't tell me that you aren't tapping into unlimited power because it takes unlimited power to raise a person from the dead, right? Now, the only person that was probably upset by this whole thing was Tabitha. Really, she had traded up to much better real estate. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine going to heaven and, and you're getting shown around and you're going, this is awesome. And oh, here's your mansion. Oh, by the way, this is just an open house. I'm sending you back. What? I don't know. That's not in the Bible, but I can imagine. Right? In Acts chapter 12, verse 12, uh, James and Peter have been put in prison and Herod is going to put them both to death. He's going to put one to death on one day and one to death uh, uh, the next day. And he, he kills James. He literally takes him out of jail and executes him publicly. And everybody's like, yeah, great. So the next day they're going to execute Peter. So he's in jail waiting for his execution. Meanwhile, across town in a house, all the Christians are together having a prayer meeting that Peter wouldn't be executed, right? So God hears those prayers and he sends an angel who opens up the prison doors and I don't know what he did to the guards, but they didn't see Peter and Peter just walks out. He walks out, he's walking down the street. He goes, I guess I'll go to their house because that's usually where they meet. That's kind of a place of prayer for them. He goes to the house, knocks on the door and a young girl answers the door named Rhoda because everybody else is in the other room praying, right? And this is where we pick it up. In 12, it says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Now here's what happens. Knocks on the door, Rhoda comes to the door, She's been hearing all these adults in the other room praying. She opens the door. It's Peter. He goes, hi. She slams the door. She goes back in. She goes, hey, Peter's at the door. They're like, you're crazy. Be quiet. We got to keep praying. Quit interrupting us. Still knocking on the door. Rhoda goes back to the door. Peter's still there. He goes, hey. He goes, just a second. Slams the door on Peter again. Goes in there and goes, listen, I'm telling you, Peter's at the door. I go, what are you seeing? A ghost? What are you crazy? You're nuts. Would you be quiet? And then <laughs> and then it was like, bang, 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 bang. So she, she goes to the door again. She just lets him in. He walks in. They're like, oh my, I love this. Have you ever heard people say that if you don't pray a prayer in faith, God won't answer that prayer? Let me ask you, how much faith did those people have? <laughs> They're praying their hearts out and Peter's at the door and they won't even bother to check. That tells you something about God, right? And there's something to learn uh, about that. And we'll get to that in a second. Last one is Acts 28.8. And it says, uh, this is Paul uh, and Silas. And they're on their third missionary journey. And, and uh, excuse, excuse me. Yes, and that's right. His father was sick in bed. This was a person they met in Crete, suffering from a, fe a fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him. And after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him another healing. So these are specific requests that God accomplished, right? But there's truth in this. I want you to see this. Do you think the people that prayed for Peter also prayed for James? Do you think the ones that prayed for Peter to be released also prayed for James to be released? So why didn't God save them both? Why did God only save Peter? Why didn't he even save James? You know what? I don't know the answer to that question. And I would imagine that's why they had a hard time believing Rhoda when she came back and said, Peter's at the door, right? But I'll give you the answer. The answer is this, God has his reasons. 
God has his reasons, and sometimes, many times, he doesn't clue you in on those reasons. But that's no reason for you not to keep the faith. And here's the thing that we need to learn. Are you praying, when you pray, are you praying for an outcome, or are you praying for the will of God? Are you praying for yours, your will, or are you praying for his will? Which one of those is a prayer of faith or believing? And see, this is one of the places where we can get mixed up. One more that we're going to talk about, and that's commissioning. Okay, commissioning is when people are sent out, and there's more prayers recorded in Acts about commissioning than anything else, any other prayer. One's in Acts 6-6, and that is where the widows are being neglected in the distribution of food, and the apostles are saying, we need to give this ministry to someone. And the church brought up seven men, And then the apostles laid their hands on them and prayed for them. It says they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, so they're being commissioned to do the work of God in this one particular area. In Acts 13, 3, as Paul and Barnabas were getting to go on this first missionary journey, the elders at Antioch uh, assembled and laid their hands on them and prayed over them. It says in verse three, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and then sent them off. In Acts 14, 23, it says that Paul and Barnabas then, as they established churches, it says, appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Again, commissioning. In Acts 20, 36, Paul knows now from God that he's going to go to Jerusalem, a very dangerous place for him. And the Ephesian elders pray over Paul before he leaves. It says, when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. In Acts 21.5, in the city of Tyre, which is a coastal city uh, in present-day Lebanon, it says this in verse 5, when our time was up, We left and continued on our way, and all the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. And this is while Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. What do we learn from commissioning? All of us want to move forward. All of us want to take more ground for God. But you don't ever want to go on a mission or a ministry or take on anything new unless you know that God is with you. And you know, you, there is incredible wisdom in the group of believers praying with you and agreeing with you and laying their hands on you or elders that do that. We do so much that way at the crossing. So when we move forward, make sure that you do your best to walk, listen, in the will of God. Don't try to get God to walk in your will. And see, that's where prayer goes backwards, right? And you know why that is? Because you think that prayer, and I think that prayer so often is about me or about my agenda, and it really isn't about me. It was never about me, and it was never about you. It's always been about him. And one of the things that we see in Acts chapter 2 is that the church was designed to be directed to be all about him. In baptism, he's the one you're meeting, right? Right? It's not about the church. It's about him. In communion, he's not just at the table. He's at the head of the table, right? He's the 
recognize supreme authority of the church, not any humans. It's his word where the power is, not in our word, right? And, and those of us that deliver the word of God, all we are just the delivery boys receiving from him and then delivering it to someone else. If it's about our word, it's worthless. If it's about his word, it's eternally powerful and valuable, right? We fellowship because we're in his family. We're called by his name. And we don't pray to just include him in the conversation. We pray because he's the point of the conversation. Listen, I'm closed on Sunday because my heart is open only for God. That's my priority. He comes first. Listen, my time is spoken for. My calendar is set. My time is his. My dance card is full. My heart is open. My mind is ready. My family is with me. My spouse is with me. My worldly passions can wait. My friends can either wait for me or they can join me. My ambitions can sit in a back seat. My preferences are checked at the door. Why? Because when he calls my name, I need to be there and say, present and accounted for, sir. I am ready, I am willing, and I am able. Because there is no other response that is an adequate response when we serve and follow the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord of Hosts, our Savior, the Shepherd of our souls, the author, the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. And I invite you to think about this as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.